This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. All right, it's been some time since we had anyone on talking about our brain. And trust me, Gary is not only going to talk to you about the brain, but man, oh man, his new book, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it is intriguing and fascinating and how he came up with it. I have no idea. But before we find out any of that, because I know you have a lot of questions, let me tell you a little bit about Gary, which this is a real summary. I mean, he's got so much going on. He is the former chief of neurosurgery at Virginia Tech. So, yes, he can talk about your brains. I mean, I was reading his little bio and then I was reading his big one and it's just, oh, my God where he currently teaches neuroscience to undergraduates and medical students. He has a special interest in burnout and building resilience and in helping guide students into healthcare professions. I mean, Gary, you really narrowed it down from the big guy. You asked for one or two sentences, I think. You listen, how are you, Gary? Uh, Well, it's a delight to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored. Yes. And we're recording on pre-Thanksgiving day. And Gary, you don't realize this, but do you know why really I'm going out tonight with my friends? You don't. My birthday is on Thanksgiving tomorrow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> I always feel for people whose birthdays are on major holidays. Oh, no, this is a good one. Because when I went to the family events, people that normally as a kid, I grew up humble beginnings, didn't get a lot of gifts, but because I went to my aunt's house on Thanksgiving, they had to bring me a present. So <laughs> it times. it's pretty mandatory at that point. But I was like, you know, it's my birthday. You got to bring me in. <laughs> All right. Before we get into it, Gary, one word, you get to pick one word to best describe your past 30 days, whatever the word that pops into your head, and then tell us why you picked that word. Um. I guess I would say uh, joyful. Um, oh. We, uh, I, I mean, it's it's <laughs> life is busy um, and a lot of running around, and we had we had some family uh, challenges and family illnesses and that sort of thing um, leading up to the last uh, month or two, uh, but. Really, for the first time in a, a while, we stayed put where we live now in um, the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, it, it's just been a glorious uh, autumn here. I mean, every yeah. day, gorgeous. The leaves this year were unbelievable. Um, so, you know, a lot of getting out into the fresh air and walking and picking up some sunshine. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, couldn't be much better. Yeah. I saw one of your hobbies is you love hiking with your wife and your dog, which was that's a right. Water collie. What's your dog's name? The dog's name is Hamish, which is uh, Scottish for James. Um, border oh. collies are Scottish dogs, uh, at least, you know, in their background. And I'm Scottish in my background. My mother was off the boat from uh, Embro. Ah. All right. So do you and your wife hike every day you possibly can together? Or do you ever do it alone just with you and your dog? Uh, she often, she's, I mean, she's much tougher and stronger and uh, uh, more versatile than me. Uh, so she does go out hiking uh, more than I do. Ah. The, the real hikes. I'll, I'll go on a, you know, one to three mile walk with her and the dog, but uh, she has friends and they go really out into the mountains. But I I did, I ruined my knees through many years of soccer. And so they, they start to really complain on the, on the real rugged trails. But uh, yeah, so we do a little bit of mix, but we walk every day. Isn't it great? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. And here where we live right now, 
uh, anywhere you turn, you have a view of mountains. It's just gorgeous. Oh. Oh. All right. So I have to ask you, what do you do there for Thanksgiving? Well, uh, it depends on the timing. I, I, I think we're still, I, I think, I think we're still um, figuring out that it's not uh, the pandemic anymore. Uh, and we're kind of surprised that uh, we were going to actually do a, a dinner with some family. Um, it's interesting throughout my career. Uh, I, we, I never took Thanksgiving off. I used to, because I was the boss in the last 20 years, I uh, I used to give everybody else off and I would take uh -huh. Thanksgiving. So it was kind of interesting when I, I we started having Thanksgivings, but then COVID hit. So we were doing that together. But this year, long story short, we uh, we one of the reasons why we moved down here is I have a son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter. So they're they're coming over with their dogs. And we live in a oh. little uh, cabin. So it will be chock full of beings. Ah, uh, well, I'm sure the dog, I know my dog. I don't know what he is, but he has some border collie in him. <laughs> when we go to my sister-in-law's house and they have a few dogs, you better protect your turkey because that's right right and especially if the house is small i just just gonna say that to you my uh, one no. of my I, just a one of my sons is one of those rescue greyhounds and he's he's oh. really tall and you know he will graze the uh the kitchen table if you're not careful so oh no no you don't stand a chance you, <laughs> right you, you better keep throwing treats man <laughs> All right. We are going to talk about the brain. Hang in there, people. All right. So over and over again, when I was reaching out to my people before you came on, they asked this question in so many different ways. Okay. Ask Gary, <laughs> what is the latest on the development of how our brains work and is capable of learning and change? Because there's so much out there. And I feel like every day it's like, oh, we can do that. Oh, they found that out. Oh, please hook my brain up. I want to know more. <laughs> so what is the biggest, latest? And I, and I got it from several different people in so many different ways, as well as medical professionals from the everyday person. They want to know. Yeah, I, I, I mean... I don't know how latest and greatest it is. I think it's the greatest. Um, I think we're, we've been aware of it for a long, long time. But it's funny when when I uh, when I talk to a lot of people, uh, there's a misconception, I think, that goes on that um, our brains are like computers. You know, our lives nowadays are so computer oriented so that I think we think our brains in terms of computers, where it's like, yeah, computers are complex wiring. You're wiring all sorts of stuff together. Um, and, and it's done in a factory, you know, and all these wires get put together and somehow this comes out of it, you know, videos yeah. and, and uh, AI and all that sort of stuff is able to come out of all the, all this electronic wiring. Um, but that that with a computer, at least, you know, that wiring gets set up and it that's pretty much it. That's the way it's going to be wired when you need a when you need new capabilities. You got to add motherboards or whatever the heck they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, and and I think a lot of people see our brains as such is that, you know, in the factory, it gets made. Uh, and maybe there's some modifications in our early childhood. But, you know, eventually it's a system of wires with connections and somehow it generates whatever we uh, get out of our brains. But the reality is, is uh, it, it is not that at all. It is, of course, set up uh, in the factory, if you will, but it is forever changing. It is, it is being modified nonstop every day. Every experience we have, everything that we think, every interface that we have is actually changing our brains on, on just multiple, multiple, multiple levels. We can really, you know, dig into the weeds if we wanted to, but I mean, it gets all the way down to gene expression and 
the way the connections are made and whether connections are maintained or given up. Certain connections are strengthened, certain connections are weakened. And then in areas of the brain, certain areas of the brain are upregulated, so certain areas are downregulated. So the brain is morphing. It's changing all the time according to our experiences for the better or the worse. We, there's no guarantee that it's going to be for the better, but yeah. I, I think that we can shape it and we can push it uh, mm. towards the better side. And I, I, I think that is something that we all really need to be aware of uh, for, again, both sides, because we can we can pound it into submission, if you will, or we can lift it and, and improve its function uh, and our happiness and our wellness uh, through what we do, what we experience and what we think and, mm. and you know, kind of force ourselves to think, if you will. So I, I it's a dynamic forever changing, very malleable or very plastic system, uh, not hardwired at all. That is great news. <laughs> that is great news. So I do some work with high risk high school kids. Mm-hmm. I go in and teach different type of, you know, more prevention programs with, they wanted to call it mental conditioning, mental strength, mental fitness. And they asked a few questions And I said, you know what? I'm going to ask Gary. And these kids come from really rough, bad environments, a lot of trauma. They want to know. Now, most of them I work with, they were like juniors and seniors. (laughs) They quote unquote, they said, are we screwed? Meaning, will they never get what happened to them out of their memory banks? Can Can they have hope to move beyond what they saw to live an amazing, great life. Cause they're really scared and they hear so many conflicting stories. Wow. What a, what a big what question, a, right? Yeah. It's a big, and it's a very poignant question, but I, I think there is a lot of room for optimism. Can you, can you eliminate uh, negative episodes in your life or even well beyond negative, but horrific episodes in your life. Can you eliminate those completely? Maybe not. Um, uh, maybe we don't want to in some ways, uh, but uh, maybe not. But can we override them? Can we repave them? Can we actually grow from them uh, potentially? You know, I I, uh, I talked about my mother a little earlier, but you know, she grew up with German bombs falling on her. Um, she had a fiance killed in World War II and, and uh, you know, went through uh, tremendous stress, but uh, came out of it a remarkably strong, uh, remarkably brilliant woman. And um, so going back to what, you know, we started with on this, that how plastic, how malleable the brain is, it it is... Um, altered for the negative with these high tr- high stress situations certain areas of the brain are down regulated they literally shrink and certain areas that are related to oh fight or flight and and you know lack of trust and 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 uh um, concern about upcoming stressors uh, are are strengthened and they grow. For example, an area of the brain called the amygdala gets bigger. There are areas of the brain um, that are more tied into our reward systems that shrink and areas in our brain even that are involved in high cognition, high thinking uh, that shrink if we're subjected to repeated stress, but they they are not taken away. So mm-hmm. if we can rechannel and and uh, emphasize uh, the good that's in our lives and build upon that, we can we can reroute it again. We can strengthen the areas of our brain that are optimistic, that are uh, looking forward, that are uh, are seeing the world in a in a more positive light, and we can downregulate uh, the negative parts of our brain. Um, it it doesn't come overnight. You can't go to a lecture and hear somebody like me talk and say, oh, okay, that's it. I've had an epiphany. Everything is fine now. It takes practice. It takes repeated 
practice of going down better channels, if you will, mm -hmm. to gradually retrain, reroute, uh, re and change uh, our brains. But ultimately, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. They are not stuck with this uh, on their backs for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Will it go completely away? No, you know, they'll, they'll remember components of it. But as time goes on, they will figure, how did I grow from this? How, how am I a better person? How am I going to change the world for the better after these negative experiences? Hmm. You know, I heard one of my mentors said this to me years and years ago, and I never forgot it. And he went through some horrific things as a kid. And he said, Sandy, I don't want to forget it. It made me who I am today, the kind of person I want to be in the world, which is a very empathetic, compassionate human being. And he goes, if I didn't have that, I don't think I'd be who I am right now. But he did the same thing you're talking about. He took it and not, as he would say, I didn't look at it as poor me or I was a victim, took him years but he looked at it, that was the life he was supposed to lead to get him where he is today. And that's a totally different spin. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we know that people can suffer, uh, you know, certainly from post-traumatic stress disorders, uh, but there's also a component of post-traumatic growth. And I think uh, that's what we want to shoot for. We want, we want to take those experiences and come out of them better for them, or at least not taken down by them. Yeah. I've never heard of that. It's called post-traumatic growth. Right. I'm and like would, that, Gary. <laughs> and it would be the idea that, you know, we can actually improve as persons despite the yeah. trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And learn the learn the lesson, you know, learn certain lessons from the trauma and recognize that uh there's there's nothing great about going through uh, terrible trauma, but you can still grow and uh, ultimately overcome the trauma. And just the fact of overcoming the trauma should be something we celebrate, should be something that we congratulate ourselves mm -hmm. for. That's a great way looking at it. All right. So what was the final point that you were like, yep, I'm going to retire. That's it. I'm going to start my next journey. Well, that one was easy. <laughs> um, I, it that was easy? Is, well, it, it was It was actually hyper complex, but it was easy in some ways. I I loved uh, being a neurosurgeon. I loved operating. I, I probably did twice the amount of operations as the average neurosurgeon um, mm -hmm. was always, you know, always hungry for more. Um, but wow. uh, about, I don't know, 30 years ago, I had a neurological illness myself, something called ADM, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, but it, it kind of wiped me out. Uh, uh -huh. it, it's like having MS, but all at once, Whoa. multiple sclerosis all at once, your body attacks the insulation of your nerves. Um, but I, I was able to recover, but there was maybe a minor, you know, I could notice things about my nervous system that wasn't perfect afterwards. But as the years went on, uh, and particularly when I was tired, I would notice certain symptoms coming out and they started getting worse. And, oh, you know, a few years ago, I, I started noticing for in the middle of operations, I might start getting some double vision or my hands would go numb. Um, and I, I, you know, you can't do that. You can't, you can't, can't practice uh, brain surgery when you're, you're not seeing straight or feeling straight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as that side of it was pretty easy. And I said, no, I, I'm just not going to, yeah. I'm not going to try to force this. Uh, I don't need to do it forever. There are some people who who just can't release the scalpel, but yeah. I found that it was relatively easy. And I had neglected my wife for, oh, I don't know, only about 40 years. So <laughs> I, uh, I I thought I do not want to be one of these guys who who clings to the operating table until they fall into a wheelchair oh, and then turn to his wife and says, all right, honey, time to take care of Oh, me. my God. <laughs> 
40 years. She's very understanding. <laughs> my, everybody calls my wife a saint uh, for a number of reasons. So. Yeah. I'm sure she's awesome. <laughs> she is. She's a Jersey girl, too. Is she? Yep. Oh, yep. my God. Okay. So, <laughs> Frenchtown, by the way. She was from Frenchtown. Oh, I like Frenchtown. Yeah. Okay. So, this is something that I've thought about for, I, I don't even know, the past 40 years, because I have a lot of friends that are surgeons. But I just want to say, I, I'm so in awe that you would be able to do that and help that many people and not be scared of the outcome. And I mean, like, I think it's so heroic that you're in there saving so many lives. And how do you do that and not freak out? Like, it just boggles my brain, especially now I have some, I love them very maybe they don't like humans that much type of surgeons that I know. And, you know, and you know, you don't, you couldn't have a great conversation with them, but they're still great surgeons. But you seem to be very compassionate, empathetic, kind, love people. I mean, I'm reading what you said, you know, about humans. How do you not freak out when you go in there? Like, because things can, you know, you can't save everyone, I'm assuming. Oh, you're assuming very, very well. Yeah, I don't want to assume, um, but I didn't think it's 100 to 100, you know. Um, my field, particularly, is a field of bad of bad outcomes. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, I I there's very few brain tumors that we actually cure. There's very few um you know big hemorrhages in the brain that we are going to make the people better or severe head injuries or or uh spines that are crushing the spinal cord. You know, there's a lot of bad outcomes and we certainly, you know, at times contribute to the bad outcomes. So uh, you know, in in my interest in the world of burnout, it's very I, I very much focused a lot on how do you you know overcome uh, all these bad outcomes, and particularly yeah. when you contribute to them. But uh, there's a flip side to it too. Um, I think you know you you were talking about kind of making us sound heroic. I I think the real heroes for me, at least throughout my career were the patients and their families. They, I, I it every day throughout my career, it never ceased to astound me, the responses of the patients themselves and their families. A lot of times the poor patients weren't even capable of, you know, they were in coma yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. So you're dealing with the families, but I, I throughout the years, I, just the, uh, the sheer amount of bravery I witnessed um, and I, I, the only word I've ever been able to come up with that, that aptly describes it is grace, grace under fire. I mean, under the worst circumstances of their, of their lives, to be full of grace, to be thankful, to be, you know, to be focused in, to be caring. Uh, I, I've got these boxes full of thank you uh, cards from families of people whose whose loved ones died, and and oh. they they have the grace to thank me, uh, and so I am. I think you know to answer your question, what happens is you know if if you can be inspired by by this and see them as the real heroes, it just makes it easy because all you're going to do is your best. You're just gonna, you're just going to go in and do your very best for them, and that's kind of how we tackled it. Uh, each each one, uh, each case at a time, throwing everything you had at it. Gary, I, I hear you. And I, I agree with you. I, I find humans to be, I mean, I just love them. I mean, they're incredible. I find them to be filled with grace and courage. I mean, the things that they go through and come out the other side, it just blows my mind. But still in all, what do you do? Like, you know, when you see this beautiful, loving family and it didn't work out the way you know, of course they want to do, like you said, you're doing your best. How do you cope with that? Like, what do you do? You know, when you talk a lot about not burning out and self-care, like, cause that still has to weigh on you. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely does in, in, in the uh, novel, as a matter of fact, there's a whole section on, on this um, where the surgeon talks about when he, when his mistakes harm people. And, and he talks about how the fact that it is very hard 
to get out of your mind. It just keeps going and going yeah. uh, in cycles in your mind. And, and particularly because you're seeing the patient uh, every day for quite a while uh, and it's painful. Um, the, uh, I, it, to the point where it can become, you know, kind of pathological where you don't want to see the patient where you, you know, it, it, uh, Absolutely. it, it causes you uh, a lot of pain and discomfort. And in, in the book we talk about, or it, it, he talks about the fact that the only time it eventually goes is if the patient leaves or dies or another major catastrophe comes in. Well, hopefully we figure out how to deal with that better. And, you know, some of the ways is to always be focused on what can we do better next time? Are there things that we can we can change and help the patients more. Uh, it's also to help the patient as much as you can after you know the bad event, or or if it's clearly not going to go well. There was an interesting vignette on this when we we would do uh, resilience building sessions with our team, and we talked about you know giving very bad news to families, and you know the the toll that takes. And somebody, one of the team, spoke up and said, "This is going to sound really bizarre, but sometimes I get those warm." warm and tingly feelings when I, when I break very bad news. And the rest of the team started going, yeah, you know something, you're right. Sometimes I, it actually feels good may not be the right word, but if there's some sort of positivity coming out of it. And what we were able to, to derive from this is that there are many situations where we actually can't physically make better. My surgery is not going to change things, but we still may be able to help alleviate suffering, the suffering of the family, just by just by giving them comfort and consolation and, and to educate them as best we can and to alleviate guilt. So there are many ways that we may be able to help with their suffering, even, even if we're not helping the overall situation. And we recognize that, hey, you know, that's part of being a doctor. In fact, that's probably the central part of being a doctor is to attack the suffering and help people with their suffering. So, uh, you know, to focus on the on the good rather than the bad yeah. goes a yeah. long way. And then sometimes you just have to go with overt distraction is just say, I've beaten myself enough up about this. I'm not I'm not doing anybody any good by wallowing in it. I, I go play with my kids or, you know, go for yeah. a long walk or listen to music or I, I don't know if you can see in the background, but, you know, I have, I play the banjo and the guitar and, yeah. you know, just to sit and, and play for a while uh, was always a decent escape for me. So, yeah, I, you know, many different ways to attack it and everybody's going to need different methodologies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I did see that you, <laughs> You have a lot of hobbies, which is great. You know, I mean, you do a lot of different things, like you know, and you're going to take up the bagpipes in 2024. So, it, you weren't, which was, I'm sure, great that you weren't just coming home and had no other interest. You know, you had a lot, a lot of other interest going on, which brings me. I want to talk about the book because it's fascinating to me. But before we do that, real quick, why did you pick this specific area? Neurosurgery, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a that's a uh, <laughs> it's a story I often tell as a warning to uh, uh, to medical students. Actually, so a lot of medical students, and I was one of them, go through multiple incantations of what they're going to be. You know, uh, so I I started out as a family doc, and then I was going to be a cancer doc, and then I was going to be a general surgeon, and I finally decided on being a uh, cardiothoracic surgeon and, yeah. uh, had it all set up. I had, you know, my residency all set up and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, in the last month of medical school, I saw my first brain operation and I said, Oh my God, I have got to do that. That is just too oh. cool. Now I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, which was a lot. It was, it was a grueling training process and it was a grueling career. Um, but, uh, you know, it worked out really well for me because I can't imagine doing anything else now. Um, but I always tell the med students, listen, 
I still believe very much in following and following your heart. If you get too analytic about it, yeah, you yeah. could end up not being very ha happy. But follow your heart, but do some research up front so you at least know what you're getting yourself into. Don't just pick it because it looks really cool. Like, <laughs> it looked cool. Yeah. Hey, I like that. That brain looks awesome. All right. So I just want you to know that I've gone to a lot of book workshops with fictional authors, and I'm a nonfiction writer. And many of them have told me it's based loosely on a lot of truth. And they were just protecting the innocent, but it had a lot to do with their life. So Death's Pale Flag, is it got a lot behind the scenes about you and your life? Yeah. Well, I'm accused of that by many uh, who know me and who have read it. Um, so I guess so. I guess I, you're thinking of a neurosurgeon. So that goes without saying. Um, I, you know, it started as a non, I've only ever written nonfiction before too, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I saw know, that. That's all, that's all our world is, right? As nonfiction. So I, I, and I, I really wanted to kind of give people a behind the scenes look at what really it, it's like to be in neurosurgery Um you know, to see what happens to the patients, how they got there, what the operations look and feel like. And I had put together a bunch of snippets through the years uh, as, you know, as I was living through them. And then as I started putting it together, I, I was like, this is boring. Oh my God, this is boring. Um, and I thought, eh, be I don't even want to read it. Boring. <laughs> well, I wanted to be, you know, I, and so I, I thought, well, what if it was fictional? Um, I, maybe it would be much more immersive. Maybe it would put the the reader right there in the OR, you know, with the blood running down the drapes and and having to figure out what to do. Uh, and so I had I had to come up with a fictional contrivance because I will tell you all the neurosurgery in it uh, is is very real, very actual, um, not necessarily one-to-one -one representations of what yeah. I saw, but amalgams. And uh, and so the neurosurgery is very true to form. Uh, some people have you know, often asked me, oh, is this hyperbole? And I'm like, nope, that's exactly what it was like. Um, uh, but the fictional tale weaved through it obviously is, is uh, definitely uh, fiction and hopefully fun and hopefully interesting. <laughs> Originally, it was going to be totally different. the The neurosurgeon was gonna was gonna be at Walter Reed and and start getting a bunch of uh, of high level uh, government people who were all having the same problem, ruptured aneurysms, and he figures out that they're being poisoned somehow, and you know meets a, a beautiful blonde FBI agent and. It just got too lame. So I completely switched horses in midstream on that one. Well, I think we could tell them a little more about the book because I did read a lot on the Amazon site. So can we mention the ghost? Oh, sure. Okay, sure. so I just want you to know it is creeping me out just a little that it takes place in Pennsylvania. And also it has to do with Jeep. Because that's all I drive is Jeeps. Me too. Oh, <laughs> oh, there you go. So give them a little bit about the book. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait. Oh my God. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's it's about a a brain surgeon. Um, by the way, my next book has nothing to do with anything like that, but uh, but it has to do with a brain surgeon um, who is definitely um, on the uh workaholic side of things and definitely burned out to one degree or another um uh but you know theoretically living an idealized life with a lovely wife and kids and all that sort of stuff uh but he begins to see um people that shouldn't be there um in various settings which get hopefully scarier and scarier and initially he convinces himself that it must be hallucinations, maybe related to all the sleep deprivation he goes through from being on call a lot, um, uh, or maybe seizures or something, but he gets it looked yeah. at. And as they get scarier and a little more bizarre, uh, he begins to convince himself that they're actually ghosts. 
and the the sightings escalate and escalate till it reach and it it really makes him come off the rails you know he starts becoming unglued both at work and and with his family and uh so hopefully for the readers they're trying to figure out is is he crazy or are these yeah, ghosts yeah. real yeah. and one of the other things i wanted to do with it was to ask the readers um what's actually scarier the the supernatural world or the natural world he's inhabiting um Ooh. so i thought that you know those would be fun things to to tangle with for the readers and you know it it comes to a head but i won't give away you know what happens no 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 because i did have people when i sent them the synopsis about the book and they were like what do you think it is really true do you think you really saw ghosts i said i don't know i don't know because some of them really do believe in ghosts and they're like i'm like you have to read the book what do i know we won't tell them all right so you said you have other books coming up already or they're in the works what do you got going on gary yeah i've got uh there's probably three in the works but one is i am not a good writer uh you know wait and, stop yeah. like what do you mean well, I'm a rank. I'm a rank amateur at it, right? So I I tend to the words just kind of spill out onto the page, but boy, do I have to do a lot of rewrites to get it, you know, oh, yeah. somewhat yeah, yeah. manageable. Yeah. And um, and so I have I have a book that is has been rewritten probably about ten times, and I'm still in the rewriting process. Um, and that one is actually a YA book. Uh, uh, about a you know, kind of a coming of age story about a soccer player. Hmm. Um, and uh, hopefully will be fun uh, for people to read. Uh, so that that's the one that's closest. Then I have, I, I love the town I'm in right now. So I'm working on a, if you will, a cozy mi murder mystery hmm. um, for the fun of that. And then of course, everybody has to have a post apocalyptic uh, book and i have one of those kind of in the works okay so for my They're all over the place all right so i have a lot of writers in the audience how do you break this down okay so you have three things in your head and you said you're not a great writer you do a lot of rewrites thank you for sharing that because i think a lot of writers rewrite rewrite it's not just like oh it's beautiful and i'm in a lot of different writing groups and i'm definitely not i mean i'm rewriting and rewriting and rewriting how do you manage your time to be, okay, this is how much I'm allotting for writing. And now you got three books going on, or do you just go, Ooh, I'm inspired. Let's go that way. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if there is an easy answer on this one. I am, I am forever running out of time, which ah. I, I, I guess is a good thing. I'll um, be bored. You won't ever be bored. <laughs> I am not bored at all. And like these, these, my instruments there on the walls are gathering some dust. I and I go into withdrawal with stuff like that. I I want to get mm. back to them, but yeah, I I tend to be one of these people who when I when I start, the time just evaporates, you know, and I'll I'll realize I've been sitting there for five straight hours, and uh, that's not good good for us, uh, you know, at least physically, but mentally, obviously, I think it's it's uh, very good for us. And as I said, I, it, the words just kind of pour out on the page, but I'm lucky uh, compared to a lot of writers, I think that I've spoken with, I enjoy the rewrites. I actually really enjoy rewriting. How about you? I mean, I, so it's easy for me because I like it. Do you, do you like rewriting? Um, I probably do it different than you. I don't write on the computer. I have to handwrite everything and then enter it because it, really helps me create and I do a lot of what I call scribble scrabble so I like it because <laughs> I have color code you know here's here's the, the brainiac science part of it you know what I mean and then here's the fun part of it here's the metal like so I do things in different color codes and so I actually enjoy it because my thing is not <laughs> my forte is not saying it in two sentences like here give me your bio in two sentences I tend to go on and on, which it probably, you know, for three pages, that could be two sentences. Sandy, Death's Pale Flag initially was 250,000 words. So I, I call it verbal dysentery. I mean, 
as they yeah, said. that's me. I just go blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, wow, I kept repeating myself. That could be two sentences. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's really I do important. like it. I do like it. But yeah. I like, again, I'm making it. It's purple. It's blue. I have <laughs> pages all over and books and scribble scrabble and big charts. So I figured out a way to make it fun for me, to make it work yeah. for yeah. me. Yeah, because that's the way my brain works. And, and if you can do that, I mean, I, I think it just changes the whole experience. Whereas I do know a lot of people who write who are just, it's agony when they go into the rewrites. Oh, and wow. and I yeah, it's that's a foreign experience to me. I hope that never hits me. Yeah. Well, those people who they should come to me, I'll make it more fun. For them. There's, always, <laughs> there's always a workaround. Oh, Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show. I have so many like questions for you that I could go down a certain path, but we don't have time. Like you said, we could get the in the weeds, but we're running out of time. Like you, I'm writing all these different questions I have for you that are just fascinating to me that I can apply even to my own life. So I, I know all my listeners are viewers too. You know, they work in all different aspects of their life. And it's not just what they could apply to themselves, but also the people they work with. So I really Absolutely. taking the time to do this. I really well, we do. can do a lightning round if you want. A light. Well, I, I have some fun <laughs> questions for you. Are you ready for that? Whatever you got. <laughs> yeah, th these are just lighthearted questions, meaning like, OK, what's your favorite food? And don't say broccoli. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be pizza, right? I mean, it it is the number one. It's a good Ever Jersey come? pizza, too. I mean, I, oh my I, God. I want a real Jersey pizza. Yeah, they're phenomenal. And New York. Favorite color? Oh, my goodness. I, I guess it's uh, green. Uh, it's my college color, and it's been everywhere. One of the favorite books you're reading now that's not your own? Uh, I'm, I'm actually reading a book. Uh, I, I read a lot of nonfiction. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I'm reading a book on the life and times of, of uh, Norman Rockwell. Uh, oh. And that's, it's pretty interesting. A lot of stuff I didn't know about him. So, because uh, I really in, have enjoyed his, his uh, artwork through the years. What is the most fascinating thing that you learned from your students in the last month? Uh, how to avoid work. No, I, <laughs> uh, from the students, you know, there's been a really, this one's actually kind of fascinating. It, it's worth the, it's worth a minute or two. Um, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, I, here I am, you know, completely immersed in the world of neuroscience for my entire adult life. And I learned something that I never knew before. I assumed that everybody on earth processed their thoughts, their thinking the same way that I do, which in, in my case, it's there's a voice, there's a monologue going on in my head almost nonstop. You know, if, if I shut up, it'll start up, it'll start talking to me. Uh, it's in my voice, it's, you know, it's somehow in my voice. Um, it can be kind of critical, uh, both of me and and other uh, situations. Uh, but it really is there nonstop. And what I what I learned recently is not everybody experiences the world that way or experiences their thoughts that way. And the more I sample more people, the more I realize that how diverse it is. Um, some people don't hear words at all. Some people see words. Some people, it's not words at all. Sometimes it's like images or symbols or emotions or feelings. Uh, it's it's really fascinating when you start digging into it. And the, the level of research about it is, is somewhat limited, um, but it's crazy. I don't know about, so what about you? What goes on in your head? Yeah, Gary, I don't hear my voice in my head talking. But a lot of my thoughts and beliefs, I believe I'm getting messages from the universe, some higher power. I get a lot of 
ongoing, yeah, do this, you know, go this way. But I take a lot of time to spend with myself to listen to what's really going on. You know what I mean? With me. So it's not my voice, but I still feel like I get really strong messages. But is that in the form of words or is it more feelings? More feelings. Yeah. See, I mean, that's totally different from me. Everything in my world is auditory. It is just, I am hearing this going. Another person told me, for example, that they have words too, a, a, a monologue that goes on, but theirs is in the voice of a childhood friend, an imaginary childhood friend. That's awesome. It's wild, isn't it? And and I never realized that because, and and it makes sense going back to what we were saying, how all our brains are actually different because we go through all sorts of different experiences. And, um, and so, you know, why should I expect it to be the same? But it, it really is important. I think when we start thinking about how we deal with other people, because I think we often assume we know what they're thinking, we know what they're feeling. And we're like, you know, the reality is we don't have a clue how they're thinking or feeling, you know? And and so uh, it's important that we don't start telling uh, ourselves stories about how they're experiencing the world and, and the reasons behind their actions and their emotions and all, because we're not experiencing the world the same way as they are. So we can't be constantly, you know, constructing this story around them. Uh, the best thing to do is probably to ask. I would love to study anything on that subject because I am so fascinated with, for me personally, my message has always been, you know, everyone's brains work differently. And I'm not coming from the scientific end of it, but we work differently how we see the world is different. Our experiences are different and your unique brain is awesome and incredible. And let's, for me, I focus on the strengths, what you can do and what you can't. And I do a lot of work with neurodiverse kids. So I'm always saying, you know, we can spend all day thinking about the things you can't, but let's, you know, really think, Oh, I can't do this, but look, look, wow, I can do this. And the reason I got fascinated with for many reasons, but my son, not till 16, Gary, did he get diagnosed to be on the autism spectrum? They just knew, okay, he had an issue with the focus, but he got through because he tested well. You know, he really mm-hmm. was a great tester and everything he learns, if you tell him he can remember it, but when he would go to put paper to pen, it didn't process right. And finally someone said, you know, I think, he should be tested for the autism spectrum. And within two seconds, they're like, oh my God, how did this get missed? You know, as sophomore year, you could, and we have no clue. Well, I'll never forget. Now this is, mm, he was 17. So three years ago, he's bouncing on the trampoline and he goes, he hadn't been told yet that he was on the autism spectrum because the therapist like, we don't know what to do. I mean, he's iffy, like you may not know, you just might think he's shot. Like, how's it going to affect, you know, him? And they were going back and forth. And he's jumping on the trampoline, Gary, and he says, Mom, was I ever tested for autism? You know, that time that we went, I don't know, there was a window, like, was that, was that for autism? Or, and I said, Yeah, why you ask? Because, you know, I've been doing research and meeting other friends on the spectrum, and it just makes sense to me. And he goes, why didn't you say anything? I said, Cole, we just weren't sure what to do yet. Mr. John, his therapist, we're going back and forth. And he said, well, I'm glad I know. Now I understand the way I work. But he said, and then he goes, mom, I know you. Don't you dare shed a tear for me. Don't you dare feel bad for me. Don't you dare cry for me. I love my brain. I wouldn't want anybody else's brain. I love the way it works. I know what I can't, what I'm I'm going to have a tough time this way, but man, what I can do is magnificent. I'm like balling for different reasons. Yeah, of course. And I was just like, oh my God. And I hugged, I'm like, Cole, it goes, no mom. I mean, what I can do, and I'm going to spread it to every kid I know and whoever I know, it's magnificent. Now I know I have some real struggles and he does. He's at Tyler Art now, but man, 
it really put me on a mission ever since that day to do anything I can to help kids embrace the other unique brain. So when you're talking about that we process, you know, thinking different, I never heard of that. I would love to tell these kids and get more research so we can chat about that. It would be amazing to me. Yeah, it's it's crazy how, you know, it evaded me. All, all these years, but you you raise another I, I think absolutely critical point uh, in uh, when we're dealing with burnout and 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 trying to promote uh, resilience and wellness. The the very first step that we believe in taking is what we would uh, what we would call self compassion or building our our mm. personal emotional intelligence, and that is we're, you know, we're in the society where everything's moving a mile a minute. We're bombarded all the time. Our focus is almost always external on something. And I think really to, uh, to be able to help ourselves, we have to know ourselves. We have to really spend some time getting to appreciate and understand how we do function. How do we function in our environment? What's going on in our heads? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What raise us up? What build us up? What tear us down? Because how do we address it if we don't understand it ourselves? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Without judgment. That's a big thing. And, and you got to do it without judgment. And the other thing that you got to do it without, which is really common, is guilt. You know, oh, I'm going to oh, yeah. take some time oh, yeah. and focus on myself. Oh, no, that's that's what a narcissist does. No, it, you know, in this case, it is not being a narcissist. It's trying to, you know, be a better person. Yeah. Oh, Gary, we'll have to stay connected, but we have to go. My let's keep it real people. This was awesome, wasn't it? Gary and I would really appreciate you sharing, liking, and rating it. You can listen and watch wherever you want to. It's everywhere. But before we go, Gary, how can they find you? And how can they find your book? Uh, the easiest thing is I do have a website. It's just my name, Gary R. Simmons, S-I-M-O-N-D-S dot com. So that one's pretty easy, Gary R. Simmons dot com. And I love connecting with people and discussing all this stuff. Uh, and so there are multiple ways to connect me. The you know all the connections to buy the books are there too, if they wish. And uh, I very much look forward to talking to people. Cool. All right. You know what I'm going to say. Until next time. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember. Keep spreading the positive.